Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. Hey. All right. Welcome to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah. Having a good day. Let's start the pod. Welcome back. I am still sick. I am sounding worse and worse. I sounded even worse yesterday. This actually sounds better, but my son is still sleeping on the couch. So let's knock one out, get something out on this. Monday, hope you're having a great day. Let's start this off. Guys, I know it's annoying, but if you haven't yet, please rate the podcast five stars. Subscribe if you're enjoying it. Tell a friend, share it. I don't know. Um, I got some interviews coming up because I'm finally back in town, so I've been scheduling those. Uh, I'm in the process right now of scheduling a big one that I'm very excited about. I've been talking to this guy online for over a decade, about a decade, maybe not over a decade. Maybe it is over a decade. And uh, if you are an NBA fan, a basketball fan, this guy is at the crux of the whole NBA is fixed, all that stuff, NBA is rigged shit. So I'm looking forward to that. He said he's down to come on, and uh, I have to, I'm going through some other PR person or something to schedule it. So uh, looking forward to that. And oh yeah, so rate the podcast five stars. It honestly takes like 10 seconds, guys, to do that. And if you want to leave a review, that's cool too. Cool too. Oh my God, my voice. <laughs> this podcast is three out of five stars. This dude's voice is gone. <laughs> um, what was the thing? Oh yeah, my book, my my children's book. I'm still working on the website because uh, I'm. It's so funny when I'm gone, I have all this time, but I have no access uh, to the internet. And now I'm in town, and I'm watching my kids 24/7. So it's really hard to find time to build this website. I'm trying to just make a very simple site. Reached out to some people for some help because I think I might have gotten the wrong hosting site for hosting domain thing or whatever for you can tell how bad i am at all this stuff just by me trying to explain it um sounds like wix is easier to build on and i should have just made this a tab on my site that i already have that's what i really should have done i bought a whole new domain for the book but i want to be able to direct people to the differentbook.com but for right now uh you can get it um by venmoing me uh, if you have Venmo, uh, it's in the show notes. It's at the different book. Uh, it's just 20 bucks. Then just send your address and I'll send it right off. Or it is available on Amazon. The only thing is uh, 10% of all the proceeds from my book, probably more but more than 10% because I'm not going to wait till I recoup all my startup money. I'm just going to start sending them 10% of every book sale. Um, is going to Emily's Entourage, which helps support cystic fibrosis. It's a, uh, a certain type of mutation in cystic fibrosis. A very close friend, family friend who has CF. So I grew up supporting that charity. If you don't know what cystic fibrosis is, it's horrible disease. Um, just uh, not to get too into it, but my friend, my family friend, when she was born, I believe the life expectancy for somebody with CF was 18 years old. And she's now, I don't know how old she is. Is she 31, 30? Something like that. 
So they've, they've been making a lot of progress. So it's not one of those charities where you send money and like nothing happens. They've been making tons and tons of progress just since I've been around, I've been alive. And, um, but she has a certain mutation, I guess, of it that Emily's Entourage is the charity that they, they're working really hard on that one because there's no cure yet for her type. So anyways, um, I really want to sell as many books as possible so I can send as much money as them. Uh, as possible and also if you want to donate directly to them that's in the book too uh, a place uh, the, the link for their website so uh, yeah so there you go the different book.com is gonna, gonna be the website right now if you go there to say it's like website in progress or something and uh, yeah it's in the show notes oh you can get it on Amazon the different book or is it called what's it called on Amazon <laughs> I think it's just called different it's called different and uh, make sure it's the one excuse me by Jeffrey Samuel Keith that's me so it's in the show notes if you want to Venmo me. More money goes to the charity if you Venmo me because I don't get as big of a cut if you buy through Amazon. But you'll get the book quicker if you go through Amazon. So whatever you want to do, either way, money's going to go to them. All right. <clears throat> um, so let's get into this really quickly. Uh, I got a couple funny articles. This one, they're all different. So this one, Mitt Romney, if you guys remember, was the Republican presidential nominee in 2012. Now he's a senator for Utah, I believe. Um, yeah. Romney confirms, this is from NBC News, Romney confirms he's behind anonymous Pierre Delecto Twitter account. I just, when I saw that, I was like, I'm reading it. I don't, anytime there's any politician or sports figure or celebrity who has a fake Twitter account that they just like to use to go trolling or whatever that is so funny to me <laughs> that's, not, that's never not going to be funny to me uh through the account now private romney defended himself and liked tweets critical of president donald trump there's kind of a weird thing with mitt romney and donald trump because he didn't like donald trump and then when then when trump got elected he met with donald trump i believe to possibly be secretary of state and then i could be wrong about that i'm pretty sure it was secretary of state and then Trump did not decide to go with him. And then he was back to disliking Trump and whatever. They don't like each other. So, uh, and I, the thing that's funny is if Mitt Romney just started saying nice things about Trump, I'm sure Trump would like him. <laughs> so here we go. By Alan Smith. Senator Mitt Romney, Republican Utah, confirmed late Sunday that he is behind an anonymous Twitter account under the pseudonym Pierre Delecto. I got to know how he came up with that. That he used to be a, quote, lurker on social media for most of the past decade. The account was first revealed by Slate's Ashley Feinberg, who was also responsible in 2017 for revealing former FBI director James Comey's anonymous account. The trail leading to Romney's secret account began earlier Sunday when The Atlantic published a profile of Romney at a time when he is one of a few prominent Republicans to be critical of President Trump's actions on Ukraine that led to House Democrats to open an impeachment inquiry. That's so funny that James Comey had a fake one, too. <laughs> Fucking former FBI director. He's got a fake Twitter account. Guy who's almost president of the United States, Mitt Romney, got a fake Twitter account. I wonder if Obama's got a fake Twitter account. I feel like they've all just... Kevin Durant in the NBA, he, he got caught. He had a fake Twitter account. So funny. Romney was asked <clears throat> about one... You know who doesn't have a fake Twitter account? Donald Trump, because I just says whatever he wants. Romney was asked about one Trump tweet in particular where the president attached the hashtag impeach Mitt Romney to which the 2012 Republican presidential nominee said that's kind of what he does and explained that he uses a secret Twitter account to follow politics. Quote, what do they call me? A lurker? 
Romney said, declining to name the account, but saying that he followed fewer than 700 accounts. That sparked Feinberg's interest, who went through the Twitter accounts of some of Romney's relatives for clues. This is where I can't believe it. You have a fake Twitter account just to, to lurk and follow stuff, and then you're going to listen to this, you're going to follow your family. She found out Romney's eldest grandchild, Ali Romney, eldest of 478 grandchildren, had just 481 followers, making the account ripe for a quick investigation. It's through her account that Feinberg found a user who piqued her attention, a person under the handle at Quaz9876, Q-A-W-S-9876. The account was public and followed about the same number of accounts Romney had mentioned to The Atlantic. It followed all of the Romney family, a number of Romney-related 2012 campaign accounts, and political reporters from the Romney 2012 beat, among others that seemed right for Romney to have an interest in following. Why wouldn't just make a separate... If you're going to make one to just talk shit and be a lurker or whatever and troll, make another one to follow all your campaign shit. Or just make it... Why, why, why can't that one just be Mitt Romney? He doesn't have a regular one? The account, which went under the username Pierre Delecto, was public and showed only a handful of tweets, most in recent months. The tweets were often replies to prominent users criticizing the senator. This is so funny. Like, I don't care... I'm not like a Mitt Romney hater. I'm not a Mitt Romney lover or anything, but that is just weak shit, dude. You make a fake account and just respond to people hating on you. I think that's what Kevin Durant did too. In May, Romney responded to Washington Post conservative blogger Jennifer Rubin, who wrote that Romney's strategy was, quote, non-confrontation verging on spineless. Quote, Jennifer, you need to take a breath, Delecto replied. Maybe you can then acknowledge the people who agree with you in large measure, even if not in every measure. Romney also liked a number of tweets that were strongly critical of Trump, including one supporting the use of the 25th Amendment in response to the president's recent decisions on Syria and Turkey. Romney also liked searing criticism of former House Speaker Newt Gingrich and 2016 Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton. I, I think it's so funny that, you know, <laughs> Trump, like, I, it sounds like, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to pretend to be, but it sounds like kind of everybody on both sides, not everybody, but most people on both sides, agree that like him pulling out of Syria and uh, it's not protecting the Kurds and like helping the Kurds like we were, it's kind of a bad move. But uh, I mean, what? Like every president does foreign policy. Obama did a bunch of foreign policy shit. I never heard anyone saying like, oh, she should get the 25th Amendment because we disagree with this move. Get this guy out of office. Uh, the account was made private late Sunday evening, soon after Romney told The Atlantic's McKay Coppins, who authored the profile of him, that he was in fact behind the Pierre Delecto account. C'est moi, he told Coppins. <laughs> does Mitt Romney speak French? I hope he does, because that would make a lot more sense for this whole Pierre thing and res responding c'est moi, which I, I, mean, I believe that means that's me, or it is me or something. Reached by NBC News, a Romney spokeswoman pointed to Coppin's tweet. One of Romney's Senate, Senate colleagues, Cory Booker, Democrat New Jersey, said he just found out about the account Monday morning and was amused. Quote, Pierre Delecto? All right, okay, I love that name. Booker joked at the presidential campaign trail, joked on the presidential campaign trail in New Hampshire. I've got to find a good one. Somebody's got to help me find a good one. He's talking about a Twitter name. In an interview with Axios on HBO that aired Sunday, Romney said of Trump asking China to probe former Vice President Joe Biden... <clears throat> Excuse me. We certainly can't have presidents asking foreign countries to provide something of political value. That is, after all, against the law, he added. On Trump's personal life, Romney said the president, quote, has elements, I'm sure, of honor in his life. And there's things that I think are not honorable. And I mentioned that because of the payment to a porn star for sexual relations outside of marriage. He added to the pre 
2016 election payoff to Stormy Daniels, who alleged an affair with Trump that the president has denied. Quote, look, I'm one of those who believes that we have a responsibility to be honorable and faithful to our wives. Oh, geez, Romney, you're like one of the only people in politics who probably <laughs> abides by that. Uh, anyways, let's go to the next article. That whole uh, that thing about uh, the, 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 the Ukraine call, by the way. I, I have heard people, you know, saying like, oh, yeah, like Joe Biden's running for president. So, you know, to investigate corruption in Ukraine, which like regular news, mainstream news had reported the Democratic National Committee and uh, the Bidens like Joe, Joe Biden and his son Hunter and all that stuff who's on the board of Burisma and just getting paid like 83 grand a month or something. The, <clears throat> and and uh, Joe Biden, I guess, he was vice president, oversaw energy in Ukraine and all that. So... It's kind of weird. Like I don't, I don't fully understand the logic. So if somebody's running for political office, you can't investigate them, even if they did something. Like it doesn't really make any sense uh, to me. To me, anyways. So like, if you're like, if you know you did something fucked up, can you just start running for president? <laughs> and people are like, can't do it, man. Uh, by the way, like, I don't know. Whatever. Let's not get too political. I guess. All right. This is a totally different. Switching of the gears. Dennis Quaid, the actor. I love Dennis Quaid as an actor. I just watched the third season of Goliath on Amazon Prime with Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, my God. If you haven't seen that, Billy Bob Thornton, man, that guy has got serious screen presence. I don't know if you guys are fans or not. He's a good actor. He's a really good actor, too. But just screen presence, that guy is unreal. Like, he just, he's very interesting. He's got an interesting face. I never knew what kind of face I had. I feel like I have kind of a stupid face, depending on the angle. And then other angles, I think I could I could be good looking. Other angles, I think I could be like pretty fucking ugly. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like I definitely look very goofy and kind of just dumb from certain angles. All right. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Dennis Quaid, 65, engaged a PhD student, Laura Savoy. All right, guys. I'm going to be honest. When I was young and I'd hear about this, when you're a guy... I don't know, I'll just speak for myself. I remember being like a young guy going, man, someday when I'm old, I want to have like a young, hot wife. And now I think that's so, it's so weird. You know what I mean? Obviously, there's different levels of, you know, you could be a very young 65. You could be a very old 65. You could be a very mature 26. and You can be a very immature 26, obviously, right? I still feel like that's a fucking huge gap. 65 to 26, that's 39 years. That's insane. I remember... When I was around 30, I would, you know, just not like seriously dating, but I was dating, you know, talking to multiple women and some of them were 21 and I was 30 and I was like, this is, they're just, I just talked to a comic about this, uh, two nights ago at the comedy magic club. And, uh, he's older than me, but he, we're, we're having the same conversation about like, yeah, like young, you just, you can't relate. You know what I mean? And okay. Granted. Maybe this 26-year-old Laura Savoy is like super mature. And Dennis Quaid is like a super, you know, good-looking dude for 65. I mean, most 65-year-olds don't look as good as Dennis Quaid. But what? That's just, that's so strange. There's a bigger gap in, in years for them than she's been alive by a lot. By actually one and a half times. Wow, look how good I am at math. 26 divided by 2 is 13. And there's 39 years between them. That's another 13 years on top of 26. So welcome to math class, everybody. Wow. It's such easy math, but I'm still proud of myself for some reason. So 
He's engaged. <clears throat> I wonder what you guys think. You can always email me. It's in the show notes, by the way. All right. So to get a hold of me or social media, guys, you know what I mean? I'm so bad at social media, but if you want to follow me, it's just my name, at Jeff Keith, G-E-O-F-F-K-E-I-T-H. Uh, I would call this the Jeff Keith Show, but no one would spell the names right. So just the GK Show, you know? But the email is the Jeff Keith Show at Gmail. Damn it. All right, the 65-year-old actor proposed to girlfriend Laura Savoy, 26, after several months of dating. The star confirmed to Extra over the weekend. Do you guys think it'll last? Who thinks it'll last? I don't. Quote, I don't, I don't want to be a hater. I hope it does, I guess. <clears throat> I had the ring in my pocket, gushed Quaid to the outlet. It has been kind of a month and a half plan. I wanted it to be private. They've only been dating a couple of months, and it's, he's planned this for a month and a half? The parent trap actor revealed he waited for the perfect sunset to pop the question. Guess what, dude? You're fucking Dennis Quaid. She would have said yes during the shittiest sunset. It could have been the sun just melted into a pile of poop. What am I talking about? It could have just been a bad sunset. And he would have, and she would have been like, yeah, you're fucking Dennis Quaid. I just watched the third season of Goliath as well. I will marry you. She was actually taking a selfie of us, and I put the ring in front and said, will you marry me? And then she fell down, said Quaid. Whoa, look at that. It happened on the very northernmost point of Oahu at Turtle Bay, he continued. It was kind of spontaneous. It was very much a surprise. Really, you just said you planned it for a month and a half. This guy's all over the place. The couple was first spotted together in May of this year after having dinner at Craig's in West Hollywood. Aren't the most nice restaurants, like the nicest restaurants, always just like Craig's, West Hollywood. It's like, man, I've never been to Craig's. Never been invited to Craig's. I bet Craig's is dope. been to a guy named Craig's house and had dinner. Is that close? Is that the same thing? Craig, who lives in West Hollywood, invited me over to his apartment and we had Hot Pockets. So I had dinner at Craig's in West Hollywood. A rep for Quaid did not respond to Fox News's request. Oh, this is a Fox News article. Fox News request for comment at the time. Previously, Quaid was linked to Santa Azuna. Az- Azuna? Azina? Az- Azina. Why can't I read? Santa? First off, he's going to marry Santa. Santa, <laughs> Santa, Santa Azuna, Azina, 32. It is believed the pair were last photographed together in December. Wow. So this guy's dating a 32-year-old. He was like, man, this chick is old. I got to get some young person, man. <clears throat> Can't be dating these old broads. So he found Laura Savoy, 26. According to People, Savoy graduated as valedictorian from Pepperdine University. During her time at the school, she reportedly dated actor Jeremy Piven. Are you fucking kidding me? So this girl just dates famous actors? She was valedictorian at Pepperdine? Wow. I could see how you could meet a lot of celebrities living up there in Malibu. Us Weekly reported Savoy's private Instagram account features several pictures of the student with Quaid. The outlet reports that Savoy shared a photo of herself and Quaid kissing and captioned a snap of the duo embracing, quote, never been happier. People reported that Savoy also received a master's at the University of Notre Dame and is currently working towards earning a PhD in accounting at the University of Texas at Austin in their McCombs School of Business with an expected 2021, 2021 graduation date. All right, so she's sounds like just on paper she's a mature 26. <laughs> Quaid was previously married to Kimberly Buffington from 2004 until they announced their split in 2016. He was also married to actresses PJ Souls from 1978 to 1983 and Meg Ryan from 1991 to 2001. He has three children. Wow. This guy's got a lot of marriages going. I hope that's not how my life goes. I don't want to be married more than just once. I just want to be married to my wife, Christy. That's it. I want it to last, you know? Oh, oh what is this? 
I didn't even click on this. This is not going to be one of our articles, but I see a headline. Monica Lewinsky teaming up with Catfish co-host for public shaming documentary. Monica Lewinsky, dude, that is such a, a strange life. You know what I mean? Her life, I mean, no matter what she does, and it sounds like she does a lot of anti-bullying stuff, and it sounds like she's busy doing things, she will always, will never do anything that will make her more famous than you know, hooking up with President Bill Clinton when he was president and like blowing him in the Oval Office. Isn't that so weird? Like that's her life. I always think about that. Some, you know, people just have their life and uh, that's the only one that they're aware of that they've ever lived, you know? I mean, maybe we've had past lives, we'll have future lives, but this is the only one you know. Like when we're talking to my dad once, there was a basketball player on the Lakers, Andrew Bynum, and my dad was like, man, he just doesn't seem to like care and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know the guy. Maybe he doesn't. You know what I mean? He's 7-1. He went to the NBA when he was 17 years old. Can you imagine that? That means, I tried to explain this to my dad. That means he had adults kissing his ass, kissing his ass, like just everywhere he went, kissing his ass since he was probably, what, 11, maybe younger. Because you get started early and all that, oh, my son's still sleeping good, and all that AAU stuff and travel basketball. So that means everyone was like, oh, shit, this kid's, you know, 6'5", and he's 12 years old. Well, he's probably going to, you know, keep growing. or You know what I mean? So he has a good chance. And then they just, like, all the all these people with money, they're helping you out, and they're, you know, they're just saying how great you are. That's really hard to live it. you know, that's your life. It's like Justin Bieber. People like to shit on Justin Bieber. I'm not some believer or anything, but dude, this guy was fucking world famous since he was 12, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, like, that's when I first started hearing about him. Like, his mom put those videos out or something. And, that, and then he just tours the world as a teenager, having millions of people screaming at him like he's the best thing ever. How are you going to be grounded and how are you going to be, quote, normal after that? That's all he's ever known. It's not like he lived a normal life. And he kind of gets it. <laughs> and then he became Justin Bieber at 12. No, he was fucking, that's it, dude. He, all he knows is like, yeah, when I hit 12, like everybody figured out how awesome I was. And pretty much everyone got on board. And every now and then people hate, but they're just losers who hate. <laughs> like, I don't know, that'd be really hard to like, have a, have your, wrap your brain around. You can't wrap your brain around what it's like to be normal. Just like, I've never been Justin Bieber. I can't wrap my brain around what it would actually be like to be like that. I could think about it. Oh, man, I bet it would be like this. But I don't know. I have no idea. All right. Let's do a psychology article now. We covered Mitt Romney and Dennis Quaid. Mitt Romney's fake Twitter account and Dennis Quaid getting married to someone 39 years younger than him. That's so weird. That means when he was almost 40, she was being born. (laughs) I'm not even 40 yet. That's like... All right, say God forbid things don't work out with my wife, which I'm sure they will. But, and then I'm 39, and then someone's born, and then 26 years later, when I'm 65, (laughs) we start dating and get married. (laughs) Like, that is just so weird to think about. Um, All right, this is going to be an interesting article, I think, from Psychology Today. Having essentialist beliefs predicts your level of prejudice. Whoa, let's see who's prejudice. Believing that people have strong traits is linked to positive and negative bias. With which statement do you agree more? Statement A, people can behave in ways that seem ambiguous, but the central aspects of their character are clear-cut. Statement B, 
It is never possible to judge how someone will react in new social situations. Oh, man. Am I a weirdo? I kind of agree with both of those. Do you agree more? Which statement do you agree more? Let's read them again. Statement A. People can, ha- can behave in ways that seem ambiguous, but the central aspects of their character are clear-cut. Statement B. It is never possible to judge how someone will react in new social situations. Whew. I think it depends on the person. I think some people are tougher to read, right? All right, let's see. These statements <clears throat> tap into a belief known as essentialism, the tendency to believe that the differences that we see between individual people and between social groups are natural and unchangeable. Just as people differ in their levels of extroversion or agreeableness, they also differ in the degree to which they believe in essentialism. Those who agree with statement A and other statements like it are considered high in essentialism. Those who agree with statement B and others like it are considered low in essentialism. People with essentialist views tend to use more stereotypes and are less likely to pursue interactions with people of other races and report less positive feelings toward mixed race individuals. <laughs> Whoa, what? I was like thinking of a specific person actually when they, when I read both those statements and yeah, he's very confused. He's kind of like a very phony person, you know? So I know, I know multiple people who are just, I found out later in life are just extremely phony and it's, it's just weird, like blows my mind. Um, all right. We were interested in how essentialism might relate to people's levels of racial prejudice. Reason that people high in essentialism may be more likely to take their observations about an individual's behavior to the next level by inferring that his or her behaviors reflect what that person and similar others are truly like. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with that then because yeah, that's not, that's not how I think about people at all. For example, after that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, oh, black people think this, or Mexican people think this, or Jews all blah blah blah. It's like I hate the. I was just talking to my buddy Sean about that a while ago. The big, the huge generalization of people, like all Mexicans think the same thing, uh, or all Jews, or whatever. For example, after learning about a Muslim person who committed an act of terrorism, a person high in essentialism might be especially likely to view Muslim people as terrorists. We tested this general idea in two studies. In our first study, we examined the link between essentialism and people's racial attitudes towards black Americans. We asked 500 Americans to fill out a measure of essentialism from which statements A and B above were borrowed. Then we measured their attitudes toward black Americans in two ways. The first measure was a survey of statements like, how negative or positive do you feel toward black people? (laughs) Unless you're an outright racist, how are you going to answer that? Our second measure... How positive, how negative or positive you feel toward black people? I don't even like that question. Because that, that, isn't that assuming that black people are all the same? I don't fucking see black people and go, oh, automatically that person's amazing. Or automatically that person's bad. <laughs> God, what, what happened to just judging people as individuals? Our second measure was a less obvious measure of racial bias called the Implicit Associations Test. Our version of the IAT measured people's tendency to associate black people with negative emotionally laden words. We found that people's levels of prejudice towards black Americans as measured by both the survey questions and the IAT were associated with higher levels of essentialist thinking. People higher in essentialism seem to harbor more racial prejudice towards black Americans. But why was this the case? Essentialism might lead to stronger prejudice because people high in essentialism are more likely to generalize the behaviors of one group member to other members of the group. I feel like that question generalizes, though. All right, I said this is going to be a good article. I don't know. A lot of... Uh, I'm very into the psychological studies and everything, and like how people's brains work, but a lot of times the phrasing... Same with like poll questions, you know, for like politics. The way they phrase things 
you can phrase things in a certain way that will get you skewed results. Because, like I said, if how negative or positive do you feel toward black people? Like, is that a scale between one to ten? I wouldn't even know how to answer that. I don't view them negatively because they're black. I just, I, I would, I would go. I don't, I don't know what black person. Like, do I get to meet them and associate with them for a while and see if they're a nice person? What if they're the nicest guy ever? What if they're super rude? At, you know, I don't know, <laughs> and they're mean to people. I wouldn't like that black person. Doesn't mean I don't. I, I assume all black people are like that. Um, okay. Huh, but why was this the case? Essentialism might lead to stronger prejudice because people have essentialism more likely to generalize the behaviors of one group member to other members of the group. If this is the case, then essentialist thinking should be linked to generalizing about groups and even in ways that result in more positive attitudes about groups. For instance, after learning that some Muslims engage in charitable behaviors, people high in essentialism might associate Muslims with generosity more strongly than people low in essentialism. So it's a good and a bad thing. So basically you're somebody who meets... You're basically somebody who's never met somebody different than you, meets one, and then goes, oh, I guess, oh, come on, Shuggy. And then you go, I guess, all... Sorry, I had to take a quick break because my dog's trying to ruin everything. He's trying to wake my son up, and he's trying to ruin the podcast. And he's got a look on his face right now like he's about to bark again. Let's just keep going. (coughs) Excuse me. In a second study, we measured the essentialism levels of 3,300 Americans, then described an imaginary group called the Lapians to them. Some people were told that Lapian individuals had engaged in 20 bad behaviors, such as parking in a space reserved for the handicapped. Others learned that Lapians had engaged in 20 good behaviors, such as they helped an elderly man who dropped some packages. A final group learned that Lapians had engaged in 20 neutral behaviors. They went to work. Participants then rated their attitudes toward Lapians as a whole. That is such a weird... I don't even... Uh, maybe I need to learn more about how studies work because that just seems strange to me. You make up a fake group of people and you tell people 20 bad things they do and then you go, how do you feel about them? Well, wouldn't you be like, well, you just told me 20 fucked up things they do. If they sound like they're kind of fucked up as a group. <laughs> they tell them 20 good things. You'd be like, yeah, they sound great. I just heard 20 good things about them. Okay. <clears throat> as we expected, people higher in essentialism form stronger attitudes towards Lapians Based on learning that some individual Lapians had done some good or bad things, this was true whether people thought Lapians behaved poorly or well. Thus, among people who were high in essentialism, those who learned that some Lapians behaved positively had more positive attitudes towards Lapians as a whole. After learning exactly the same information, people... Oh my god, my son is up. The podcast might be over. All right, so we're back after I put Levi back to sleep. So let's just start back from the top of that paragraph. As we expected, people higher in essentialism form stronger attitudes towards Lapians based on learning that some individual Lapians had done some good or bad things. This is true whether people thought Lapians behaved poorly or well. Thus, among people who were high in essentialism, those who learned that some Lapians behaved positively had more positive attitudes towards Lapians as a whole. After learning exactly the same information, people low in essentialism formed weaker attitudes about the Lapian group. Again, this pattern of essentialism was true for both nice and nasty behavior. So I would just like to see how that study was done. Because if someone told me, hey, you know a Lapian? Uh, a person who's a Lapian? They uh, robbed a liquor store. I'd be like, oh, okay. I wouldn't go, oh, I bet they all do that. You know? But if someone told me, hey, you know, 20 different Lapians all robbed liquor stores last week. And I'm like, how many Lapians are there? They're like, there's 24 Lapians. I'm like, and 20 of them robbed liquor stores? 
sounds like Mo Slapiens around liquor stores. Like, I don't know. Because when you're making up a fake group of people, you know what I mean? Like, I know there's, what, there's like 1.6 or 7 billion Muslims in the world. So someone said like, hey, a Muslim guy committed a terrorist act. I wouldn't be like, whoa, I bet they all do that. <laughs> you know, because I know there's so many of them that obviously they're not all doing that. But if you make up a fake one, and I've never heard of it, what, what, what if there's 12 Lapians and 12 of them rob liquors? I don't know. Do you kind of get my point? Am I making a point? I don't know. Our, continuing. <clears throat> Our results shed light on why two people can draw different conclusions after witnessing a person perform the same behavior. People high in essentialism are more likely to see the behaviors of individual group members as indicative of what all members of that group are like. But people high in essentialism are more likely to form negative and positive attitudes about the members of social groups. Essentialism is not the same as prejudice. If you're concerned about forming unfair biases towards toward groups on the basis of the behaviors of a few individuals, there are a few strategies you could try. <laughs> Just don't fucking do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? First, when you witness someone's behavior and find yourself thinking that is representative of their group, you can remind yourself that human behavior can be caused by many things, including things that have little or nothing to do with the person's characteristics. This isn't this obvious. When you witness a person acting a certain way, it is also helpful to think about the situational pressures that might have led the person to act in that manner. It could also help to imagine yourself acting in a similar way and identifying some of the pressures that could lead you to behave that way. I think a great example of this is driving, okay? I live in, obviously, Southern California, born and raised my whole life, and people out here a lot of times drive like crap. And every now and then, I'll cut somebody off on accident, right? Not very often. I think I'm a pretty good driver. I think most people think they're a good driver, though. But I really, like, very rarely happens. But, like, I'll, you know, I'll cut someone off and I'll see that they get angry. And, and I feel horrible because I'm like, oh, shit, like, I didn't see them, blah, blah. That person, all they know is they just got cut off by me, right? So they're probably like, fucking fuck this piece of shit, right? So that's why when someone cuts me off, I don't give a shit. I lay on my horn. <laughs> I hate that person. <laughs> but, like, my point is, that person could be just as good a driver as me and that was their one fuck up in the last six months or something. You know what I mean? But we just see it as like, oh, people drive like shit. Everybody's stupid. I'm great. It's kind of interesting, right? Another thing too, sometimes when you get cut off and you pass the person, you know, you always look. You like to give the look, right? Who is it? And I've always said, everybody is racist and prejudiced and sexist and everything about somebody cutting them off on the freeway, or the highway, whatever you call it you're from because i will i will turn no matter i told my wife this my wife's mexican right i told her i go uh if i cut off and i pass somebody no matter what they are i'll go yeah fucking knew it old white lady knew it or if i just pass oh i knew it fucking fat chick Ooh, i knew it fucking uh you know it could be anything it could be ooh, young mexican guy just like i thought oh well if it isn't exactly what i thought uh, a car full of Hasidic Jews. <laughs> like it could be anything. And in my head, I'm like, fucking knew it, <laughs> right? No matter what they are, I hate them for a split second. Now I just Liam Neeson it, right? Remember that story about Liam Neeson? <laughs> His friend got raped. Or, oh, whatever. If you know the story, you know the story. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Um, anyways. <clears throat> All right. So here we go. If you're concerned about it, blah, blah. When you witness a person acting a certain way, it, is also, it also helps to think about the situational pressures that might have led the person to act in that manner. 
It could also help to imagine yourself acting in a similar way and identifying some of the pressures that could lead you to behave that way. Finally, if you ever see a Lapian behave poorly, you remind yourself of a counterexample. They don't exist, motherfucker. <laughs> in which a Lapian behaved kindly or heroically. In general, thinking more deeply about the events and people that you witness may help reduce your likelihood of harboring unfair biases, be they positive or negative. I'm going to be honest, guys. This article is not as informative as I thought. It's kind of interesting. It's not as interesting as I thought, but it's kind of interesting. My son is back asleep. I wonder if I have time to get through this last article, which I wanted to get to. Three big reasons why women lose sexual desire. Finding renewed interest through gained awareness. Here we go. This guy, Jeffrey Bernstein, PhD. He wrote this article, so... I wonder if his wife lost sexual desire. Many, quote, happy couples portrayed on social media are living with a troubling secret. Little or no sexual intimacy. <laughs> this, in particular, is a major hidden problem for women. And amid all of life's demands and the white noise that comes with them, relatively few talk about it. My female clients tell me that lessened or completely lost sexual desire is an increasing challenge for them. Researcher Cheryl Kingsberg explains that sexual drive is the biological component of desire, which is reflected as spontaneous sexual interests, including sexual thoughts, erotic fantasies, and daydreams. While men are generally more readily physiologically aroused than women, low sexual desire occurs in men as well. Low sexual desire is not restricted to gender, sexual orientation, race, or any other demographic. I wonder if Lapians have high sexual desire or low sexual desire. I met a Lapian once. They didn't want to fuck me. I think they all have low sexual desire. Those Lapians, they're always cutting me off in traffic. Non-binary individuals clearly can struggle with lowered sexual desire as well. Lowered sexual, non-binary, okay. Lowered sexual desire can cause strain in both heterosexual and gay relationships. No shit, Who? of course, dude. In this post, however, we'll focus on low sexual desire in women. Thank you. <laughs> Points to keep in mind. If you want to have sex less often than your partner does, neither of you may necessarily lie outside the norm for people at your stage in life. Although your frequency preference differences may cause relationship issues. At the same time, even if your sex drive is weaker than it once was, your relationship may be stronger than ever. There is no magic frequency that defines low sex drive. It varies from person to person. The symptoms of low sex drive in women, having no interest in any type of sexual activity, including masturbation, never or only seldom having sexual fantasies or thoughts, being concerned by your lack of sexual activity or fantasies. I'll be honest, I, I think when I was like younger, I think I had a lot more sex dreams. I rarely have a sex dream now. Is there something wrong with me? I don't know. I knew a guy who's always having dreams about having sex. But then I was, then I thought maybe that's because I got to, you know, sow my sow my oats or whatever they say, right? Is that what it is? <laughs> sow my royal oats. I'm not royal, but uh, you know what I mean. I didn't. I just like don't. I don't like watch a movie that has a famous actress in it and then go to bed and dream about having sex with that actress. That never happens. That happened when I was a teenager. Maybe when I was in my early 20s. I don't know. I can't really remember. I mostly have nightmares. <laughs> I mostly have terrifying nightmares. Different types. All right. Caught. Let me just check something real quick. Make sure this is still recording. All right, we're good. Causes of lowered sexual desire in women. The, de the, de the desire for sex is complex as it is multifaceted based on the interaction of several factors affecting intimacy, including physical and emotional well-being, experiences, beliefs, lifestyle, and one's current relationship status. If you're experiencing a problem in any of these areas, it can affect your desire for sexual intimacy. Following are three common causes of low sexual desire in women. 
Physical causes. <clears throat> a wide range of illnesses, physical changes, and medications can cause a low sex drive, including certain prescription drugs, especially the antidepressant category known as known as called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRI, are known to lower the sex drive. It is noted that some relatively newer drugs do not have the side effect or at least have it to a lower extent. Second, lifestyle habits. Being chronically sleep deprived crushes sexual desire. Exhaustion from caring for young children or aging parents are frequent culprits in such fatigue. Fatigue from illness or surgery may also play a role in low sex drive. And while a glass of wine may relax you and put you in the mood, too much alcohol can adversely affect your sex drive. The same is true of other recreational drugs. Health issues. I noticed that. Let's, let's get personal for a second. When I used to smoke weed, um, if I smoked a little bit, I could, you know, like not very often, and I smoked, I could have like great sex, right? But then when I, for a while there, I was kind of smoking. I was never like a wake and bake guy, but I'd smoke kind of like every night. It got too much of a habit. I noticed the sex drive, not as good. So there you go. But here and there makes it better all the time, makes it worse. Moderation, everybody, right? Just like those Lapians. They do some good things and some bad things. Health issues. Changes in your hormone levels may alter your desire for sex. This can occur during menopause as estrogen levels drop, potentially causing dry vaginal tissue and painful or uncomfortable sex. Oh, I almost threw up. Almost although many women still have satisfying sex during menopause and beyond, some experience a lagging libido during this hormonal stage. Hormone changes during pregnancy, just after having a baby, and during breastfeeding can also put a damper on sex drive. Many non-sexual diseases can also affect sex drive, including arthritis, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, and neurological disorders. Sexual discomfort. If you have pain during sex or can't orgasm, it can reduce your desire for sex. Well, that's kind of no-brainer right there. If something hurts, you don't want to do it. Internal emotional causes. Your emotional state can affect your sexual desire. There are many psychological causes of low sex drive. Stress from work and or family pressures can wipe out sexual desire. In a cultural family pressures, yikes. What if your family is pressuring you to have a lot of sex? <laughs> that would stress you out. In a culture that encourages having a quote, perfect body, negative perceptions resulting from feeling like you are defective or physically inadequate can squash desire as well. The same goes for those struggling with post-traumatic stress, anxiety, or depression. Or if you're going through depression or PTSD or something, yeah, of course you're probably not thinking about banging people. Anger and resentment are other strong emotions that lower sexual desire. My book, Why Can't You Read My Mind, describes nine toxic thinking patterns that get in the way of loving relationships. In this earlier post, I address how to manage these inner toxic thoughts that lead to frustration, anger, and resentment, which can destroy yearnings for intimacy. For example... Toxic thoughts such as you're selfish or you never think of anyone but yourself, is that the same exact thought? <laughs> Lead to distraction, distance, and disconnection, which I refer to as the 3D effect. Ooh, very clever, Doc. These toxic thoughts breed angry feelings that deplete empathy, the emotional glue that nourishes a relationship and holds them together. This lack of mutual understanding can lead to negative feelings, which inhibit sexual desire. Relationship number three, relationship struggles. It's hard to feel intimately connected when you feel emotionally disconnected because of a dysfunctional pattern of interaction with your partner. The communication dynamics between you and your partner can lead to a relationship strain and problems. Sexual intimacy often falls prey to relationship struggles such as unresolved conflicts and fights. What if you're just arguing all the time like, how come we're not having sex? Oh, here you go again. Now that we're arguing about it, I don't want to do it. Trust issues. I just had sex with my girlfriend. Why won't you have sex with me, wife? 
and poor communication of sexual needs and preferences. Just, I'm pointing at my dick. <laughs> your mouth, my dick. Your mouth, my dick. Just point, 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 point. <laughs> Got to communicate, everyone. What can you do to increase sexual desire? Get a checkup with your healthcare provider to rule any medical or physical causes that could be influencing your low interest in sexual intimacy. The solution could involve changing a medication you are taking. Manage stress in your life by engaging in a healthy lifestyle that includes taking breaks, engaging in exercise, seeking quiet time, and gaining emotional support from those you trust. Don't press yourself to be more sexual. Rather, gently explore within yourself if you're concerned by your low desire for sex. If so, talk to a mental health care provider. Jeez. Hey, I'm not thinking about having sex all the time. Do you think I'm crazy? <laughs> Don't accept a, quote, new normal of limited or no sexual desire, no matter how long it's been occurring. Many couples in my practice have cherished sexual reconnection even after long stints of disconnection. Address any relationship issues with your partner that may be coming out sideways in the form of your shutting down as it relates to intimacy and sexual connectivity. Seek a relationship counselor if you and your partner feel unable to explore, communicate, and problem solve what is going on between you. There you go, everybody. The doc has spoken about the author. Jeffrey Bernstein, PhD, is a psychologist and the author of four books, including 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child. Whoa, there's a real kicker. I want to read that book. My daughter's three, and she is definitely a total three-nager. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyways, guys, if you have any uh, helpful tips on me promoting my children's book, Different, um, please let me know. Send me a shout on the social media or my email. It's in the show notes. Uh, again, 10% of all the proceeds go to Emily's Entourage, which is a cystic fibrosis charity that helps fight... Uh, uh, unique mutation there that's the word i was looking for unique mutation of cystic fibrosis and we are going to cure cystic fibrosis i hope i sell as many books as possible i want to get on ellen with my book you know what i mean and uh ellen can help cure it you know it's a good cause so all right had a couple hiccups and i'm gonna have to edit this whole thing because my son woke up my dog was barking real shit show over here all right, guys, I will try and get more out tomorrow. If I have time, I will make it for you. I promise, sort of, not full-on promise, but I hope so. I'm going to go for it. You know what I mean? I'm going to try. I might wake up early. Probably not. I'm sick. I'm going to take medicine. I'm going to sleep in. I'm lying to you. I'm saying I'll do it. Probably won't do it, but I will try. I might do it. Shouldn't have said probably won't. I probably will do it. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to my daddy.